covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks for being uh, tuned in as we continue the period after the season has come to an end. It still feels kind of weird to be overly focused on next season as we continue to kind of grasp and and put our hands around what happened this past season and the early exit our first podcast since the brewers lost the uh, nlds to the atlanta braves Uh, we got a lot to get to scott warris is our featured guest this week always enjoy being able to talk with scott Uh, our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast if you want to reach me Best way to do it is on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and want to uh, subscribe and leave a ranking and review, that would be absolutely awesome. Um, I don't know how you guys feel, but for me, uh, we're less than a week since the Brewers season came to an end. What was That was on Tuesday, right? Tuesday when uh, that was game four. Yeah, Tuesday was game number four of the NLDS. I'm recording this on Sunday night, so we're five days removed. I don't know if time goes faster or slower for you, uh, but to me it feels like the Brewers season ended like two weeks ago. It does not feel like it has only been a week, but here we are, less than a week out since the season came uh, came to an end. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm still kind of grasping at what happened, why it happened, what the takeaway should be. That's probably the most important part. What do you take away from this season? Because I am somebody, and there's people who take the exact opposite stance as me, and I understand the people who do. I don't agree with them, but I understand why they go to the place that they go to. I am someone who does believe that there is value in what you do during the regular season no matter how the postseason run ends. So I still see value in the Brewers having the regular season that they had, winning the division, getting out to as big of a lead as they got out to, getting to that high water mark that they were at at one point. Like All those things, I think, have value. But, <laughs> it's a big one, but... The expectations for the postseason were so high. like High to a place where if they would have gotten to the NLCS and gone to a Game 7 and lost in a Game 7 to, say, to, to the Dodgers, lost Game 7 to the Dodgers just as they did a few years ago, uh, there would still be, I think, a really healthy percentage of the fan base who would continue to view it as a disappointing season because they didn't get to the World Series. I probably wouldn't have been in that group. To me, you, you get to the NLCS, you make it a series, you do so against a really good team. I, I think there's, to me, that's a much more valuable postseason experience than what the Brewers had this year. And I look, at the end of the day, the goal is always to win the World Series, right? Like We have this argument all the time. Can you have a successful season without winning the World Series, and I think you can. I think there's, you know, there, there's the 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 Ricky Bobby stance of of sports. If you ain't first, you're last, right? Like there's there's people out there who really kind of operate in that type of fashion, where if you don't win the World Series, if you don't win the Super Bowl, if you don't win the NBA Finals, well, then it doesn't really matter how far you went. That's not the way I view sports. That's not the way I evaluate sports. To me, there is you can have a successful season without winning. Now that doesn't take anybody. That doesn't give anybody a free pass where you can go. Oh well, you know what they they did this, this, and this, so it's a successful season. It doesn't matter that they didn't win the champ. No, I'm. I it, we don't have to go there. And I know people accuse me of that sometimes. Like the Brewers underachieved in the postseason. They to me they are the better team than the Atlanta Braves. The Brewers are a better team than the Atlanta Braves. Did they play like it for those four games? Absolutely not. You tip your cap to what Atlanta did because Atlanta outplayed the Brewers in just about uh, every facet over those four four games. But do I believe that the Brewers are a better team than the Braves? Yeah, yeah, I do. 
And that's one of the tough things about baseball is that it's just it's a sport built for because it's so long. You go through these ups and downs, and even the best teams and even the worst teams have roller coasters. The the best teams in baseball have really bad periods. The worst teams in baseball have some pretty good periods. That's just the way it is. And for whatever reason, and we can argue until we're blue in the face, and I really don't want to do that on this podcast this week, for whatever reason, the Brewers went into a lull at the absolute worst time. There's going to be some people who say it's because they didn't take the final few weeks of the regular season as seriously as they should have. I say that's not true because I see the numbers and the correlations of playing well and not playing well at the end of the regular season compared to how you play in the postseason. There's just nothing, but there's people out there who don't really care about that, and they believe that the Brewers played poorly or didn't play at at a high level over the final three weeks or so of the season, and that carried over. And there's not much I can say that will get people to believe either that's not true or that is true, depending on kind of where where you're at on that. So I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm almost rambling at this point. Just been continuing to think through this here for uh, for a while because I'll be the first to say, and I mentioned this in our conversation with Scott Warris that's coming up. I've already recorded it, so I know what it's going to sound like. Um, I'm the first one. I am the first one to sit there and tell you that uh, there's value. There's a lot of value in what you do in the regular season. That you should, that yeah, there's, there's, there's value in it, no matter what the postseason run looks like. That there's value in accomplishing things over a 162-game season, more so than any other sport, where you play so many fewer games in other sports, there's just there's more, more you you. I think it's worth more. Like there's just you you honor. I don't know if honor is the right word, but I does it really matter if the Bucks win their division in the regular season? Does it really matter if the Packers do? Like if the Packers go in as a wild card and then they end up winning the Super Bowl, nobody nobody cares about the regular season, or if the Packers go 15 and 2 in the regular season and then end up losing in their their first or second playoff game and don't even make it to the Super Bowl. Like nobody's talking about the the great regular season that they some people are. In fact, I might even be one of those people that are. But it's uh it's a lot le- there there's a lot less value in what you do in the uh in the the regular season. It feels oh so much more that when you're in the regular season that the regular season is more built for just you earning a playoff berth in other sports where there's more value to what you do in the regular season. So I say all that to say this. I, I'm the first one to to scream from the mountaintop the value of what you do in the regular season. Even even on this one, I'm having some, a hard time with it. Even on this one, it's, it feels so unfulfilling to watch what this team did in the regular season, to see how they did it, to see how the team was built with pitching, thinking that they had a legitimate chance to go on a deep playoff run and to see it end in four games. like I have to keep reminding myself about what the team accomplished, the value of what they got during the regular season. So I... I understand the people who just don't can't can't look at it that way. I understand it. I'm not that way, but I this year more than most, I get it, right? Like I get it. And it's uh I almost had to force myself to keep you know just reminding myself that this was still a successful season, not as successful as it could have been. There's levels of success. It was still a successful season, but man, no oh man, does it feel like they they left something on the table. They left a a special thing on the table at that point. I don't know if they would have won the World Series. If if they would have been matched up against the Dodgers in the NLCS, to be perfectly honest with you, I wouldn't have felt great about that series. I just won it. Um, if, if the Giants would have beat the Dodgers and the Brewers would have faced the Giants, I would have felt really good about that series. I also felt pretty good about the Brewers series against the Braves, and we know how that worked out. So it's not like my evaluation is the end-all, be-all, because I thought the, I thought the Brewers were going to win it in four. I actually... The first two games worked out exactly the way I thought they were going to work out. I thought they were going to split the first two games in Milwaukee. I thought they would win game one. I thought they'd lose game two. And then I thought they would go to Atlanta, and I thought they would win games three and four. So my my beliefs uh, held true 
until the end of game number three, and then everything went flushing down, right? And just to not even get it to a game five was frustrating. But are we? Do we feel? Do we feel any more fulfilled if they go to game five and end up losing that game? Like, there's no guarantee that if they would have won game four, that they would have won game five. Yes, it was at home, and yes, it would have been Corbin Burns on regular rest. But it also would have been them facing off against Max Freed, who they did very little against uh, in game number two. And, and Freed has been really good for a really long time. So you can, we can go through the hypotheticals. That's that's one of the things that's most frustrating when we talk about some of the decisions that uh, that Craig Council made. Because if we're being blunt about things, the decisions that Craig Council made, the big crossroads type decisions that Craig Council made, did not go well. They didn't. The, the decisions did not work out for the Brewers. Now, there's people out there that are going to say Craig Council is a bad manager because of those decisions. I, I reject that thoroughly. And I've always said it, just because a decision works doesn't mean it was a good decision, and just because a decision doesn't work means it was a bad decision. You, you know where I'm going with this. If, it's, if, the, if you do the same decision 10 times and it works 7 out of 10 times, well, it's, it's the right decision 100% of the times, even the three times where it didn't work. That's just that's the way baseball is. But this is one where uh, the decision to pull pitchers early, and that's something that happens a lot in the postseason. Happens a lot in the postseason. But it really felt like Freddie Peralta was on the verge of something special, and then they were so desperate for runs. They were so desperate for runs. They lifted him, and it ended up not working. Uh, Eric Lauer, when they when they lifted him, I, I I did not love that move. I would have given him. One more at bat. But the thing about kind of evaluating this, these decisions is there's no way to know what would have happened had you not done that. If if Eric Lauer faces one more batter, what if he hits a home run, right? Like, you don't know that that's not going to happen. If Freddie Peralta stays in the game, what if he blows up in the next inning? Uh, if If Daniel Vogelback is not used as a pinch hitter, but Tyrone Taylor is, Who's to say that Taylor's going to do anything more? Like we just, there's no way to hop in the DeLorean and change the decision. And while personally, no, I probably wouldn't have lifted Eric Lauer. Personally, I probably wouldn't have lifted Freddie Peralta in those moments. I understand why they did. I understand the decision. The decision is sound. Um, you know, th- there's not always a right and wrong answer. There's multiple answers. There's multiple paths you can take, and multiple correct paths. Um, the 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 decision making was sound. The decision didn't work. It's baseball. That happens when you're slumping. When things aren't going right for you, that's what happens. Decisions are made, and the decisions don't work. That's the bottom line. All right, let's get to our featured interview this week. A guy I always like being able to uh, have on the podcast. You hear him. Weekday nights, WTMJ, 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. It's now a little bit more because there's no Brewers, but there are Bucks games. So he's not on every night, but he's on many nights. Uh, 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock, WTMJ, host of WTMJ Nights. He's also the uh, the play-by-play broadcaster for Milwaukee Panther men's basketball. We're actually going to mention that at the end of our uh, of our conversation because they're now part of the GKB family, which is uh, which is exciting. I can say that, even though I am one of the broadcasters for UWGB, Scott and I are still friends, even though there is a rivalry there uh, in terms of the uh, the two athletic departments and the two schools. But uh, yeah, great that uh, uh, that UWM is now on uh, 540 ESPN as part of the uh, GKB family and uh, the portfolio of uh, stations. But yeah, let's bring on uh, Scott Warris uh, again, six to nine weekday nights, WTMJ nights. You hear him a lot more now. Hi, Scott. Hit the ball! Hit the ball! All right, I'm good now. Good, that's all? That's all you had to say? I do that every day. Uh, every On the hour, actually, and living in an apartment, the neighbors don't like it. But I do that every couple times every hour, and I think I'm, it's almost all out of my system. It was a uh, it was a frustrating offensive series. Before we get to that, um, were you sad at all? I, I mean, I know you loved the program, but were you sad at all that your show on a nightly basis got shortened to two hours from three for Brew October Nightly? Was I sad that I had less of a show? Yes. Every night the Brewers postseason hopes were still going. Yes. 
was I sad that I had one less hour and just made less money? Yes. Is that what you're asking me? Yes. I am a big fan of our local professional baseball team, but, I mean, no, just kidding. It is what it is. It's, it's, I, I took one for the team, Matt. If it meant that the Brewers were still in it and it meant you guys had to do a show, then by golly, I was willing to take one for the team. And it was even you know, on on Thursday nights when it's Brewers Weekly. That's the that's the last hour we took. Your first hour. Yeah, I actually it's funny. Um, they didn't tell me that. So what you don't know because you guys were usually on site at the ballpark or at the uh, Palatial Poly Studios. Um, I would actually go in the studio at TMJ, and I I did the six o'clock hour. <laughs> But uh, our producer, Greg Pancake Hill, would just have my mic potted down on the uh, board. But I didn't know it. So I could hear myself talking. So um, I don't know if I should be saying this. I was actually doing a 6 o'clock hour for the last week or so, whatever it was, week and a half. Uh, It was just not broadcast. So that way it kept the flow for me mentally, which was important. And then the 7 o'clock hour was actually my second hour, even if nobody heard the first hour. Which is always good when you reference back to things that happened in the first hour that didn't actually uh, weren't actually heard. True, true, but uh, it's technicality, just little things. But uh, uh, no, it's back to uh, six to nine now when there isn't uh, a Matt Pauly related uh, sport or uh, a Justin Garcia Bucks related sport now. But I'm okay. Are you doing okay? Are you all right? Yeah. About you. Yeah. You know what? I was um. That there's was unbelievable, a, by the way. There's an there. Okay, so when you cover and like you know, I've been doing this obviously with the Brewers. I think this was just my sixth year that I finished, and before that, I did ten years of minor league baseball play by play. So my my professional life has been dictated by baseball for the last fifteen plus years, and I, I don't I don't know if there is a comparable thing. I I don't know what what's comparable in the sense that. Like you do something that just dominates your life because of the everyday nature to it, and then when it's over, it's just over, and it's like six months on, six months off, six months on, six months off. It's a really, really weird feeling, and I'm sure there's other things out there that are are somewhat similar to it. But I'm just not smart enough to think of what a what another example would be. Well, I think it's like that in all sports. In all sports, whenever you are in the postseason of your specific competition, professional or collegiate for that matter. There is an abruptness to it. Now, I, and I've, I've thought about this, and I've talked about this with some people, I think this Brewer's conclusion was the most abrupt and in so doing the most disappointingly abrupt postseason that they've ever had because of the expectations they had. I mean, you know, you can go through it. Last year in 2020, uh, you know, that weird three-game series at L.A. Did we really think they were going to take two out of three from the Dodgers? And they lost the first two, and it was over. And, okay, we were sad, but it wasn't at all surprising. Year before that, 2019, we were, we were able to brace ourselves for the abruptness because we, it was the one-gamer in Washington. So when you know you're in the one-game wild card, you as a fan are able to gird yourself like that. Gird yourself against that the uh, impending doom, and it wasn't a abrupt loss, you know, the the late inning loss that it played out as it did. But we were ready for it because it was one game. We knew going in, it's all or nothing. Here we go, baby. 2018. I mean, they got to Game 7 of the NLCS, and it was disappointing for other reasons, but it wasn't abrupt because they played, what, 10 postseason games. Yeah. So, I mean, this was just, and I still kind of feel so very, wait, that's it? I mean, for six months. I mean, we were prepping. We were ready. They had the pitching staff to be a World Series contender, and poof, gone in four 
meager games. It was the way it happened, I think, added to the abruptness of it. But um, it certainly was as sudden, I think, for Brewers baseball postseason fans as we've ever seen. So I'm a big believer that baseball, more than any other sport, the accomplishments of the regular season carry carry weight. It's not a there's some there's value to winning the division even when you don't have a great postseason. That doesn't mean it's okay. That doesn't mean they didn't um, that they didn't underachieve. They absolutely did. But for me, there's still something about going the accomplishments of the rigors that are a 162 game season. That being said, and this kind of goes to what you were just saying, more so than any other year. As much as I believe what I just said, in many ways it feels like, okay, they just went through what they went through for 162 games to get knocked out in the first round in four games. It is so incredibly unfulfilling. Exactly. Um, It is because I I was thinking about this. What do you think about this to the point you said of being unfulfilling? Was this not the most dominant Brewers regular season that we have ever seen. Now, I know in the end they only won it by, what, five games over the Cardinals. But when you consider the fact that at one point they had, what, a 14-game lead in early September, that they were, what, 34 games over? Was that their high water mark? I think so, They had high water rolling in, Matt, there for a while. (laughs) Um, Which was, you know, an organizational record. it was so dominant, which was also very foreign to to Brewers fans because it was almost like, what are we, how are we supposed to act? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to, you know, treat this September? Uh, I don't know. We've never been through this before, and they they just, I kept, we kept waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen, and there really it wasn't really a stressful second half of the season, quite frankly, and so, I mean, it was so disappointing. And it was so unfulfilling for that very reason, because it was the most dominant regular season we ever had, and then it was the most, dare I say, uh, uh, well, certainly offensively, pathetic postseason that the team had ever had. And I think that's, I think, a reason why we feel so unfulfilled, because of everything they gave us for, like you said, six months of great baseball. Yeah. And I think the other thing that kind of worries me, and I'm not trying to be uh, somebody who just always sees the negative things, but anytime there's a chance for something to be really special and it's not really special, I look at it as a potential missed opportunity. And I'm, there's no reason to think that Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta aren't going to continue to be dominant pitchers. But the numbers they put up, there's no guarantee that those three will ever be able to put up those kind of numbers in the same season again. That was that was so special. You hope they can. It's it's possible they can. Maybe it's even it's likely that they will. But there's not a guarantee. So with that, it just feels like the team that was built for the playoffs because of their pitching really missed out on an opportunity to do something special. Yeah, next. Yeah, you never know. That's why we always talk about it on on the air. I know you and I talk about taking advantage of the opportunities when they're presented. And yes, the window is open. The window, the window, the window. Yes, absolutely. And in Stearns, we trust. And God bless Mark Adonazio because they have opened this competitive window wider than it's ever been. I mean, this isn't 2008. This isn't 2011 where it's, man, we lost an opportunity, not just right now, but next year, oh, who knows, this guy, that guy, and the other guy aren't coming back. These three guys had career years. What are the odds they do that again? That's really not a situation we're going through right now. I mean, so the optimistic side is that, yes, the window is open, but, yeah, who knows, those three pitchers might not be as spectacular as they were this year, or maybe Peralta's a little better, Burns is not quite as stellar, and uh, our injuries always play a role. Yeah, you just never know. You just never know. It's um, uh, you just. I, but I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Like here's the other thing. I know. I know. I know. The offense was not good down the stretch. I know. 
But as you and I talked about, how you perform down the stretch has no statistical correlation with how it's going to happen in the playoffs. Unfortunately for the Brewers, it was they were cold at the end and they were cold in the playoffs. But even so, I just thought they would get enough hitting. Like, I thought there would be enough timely hits. There would be enough two-out hits. And we know, we chronicled their woes. But after what? After the Adamas trade, their offense was completely different. So I know the fans griped about how bad their offense was all year. You, you know the numbers. That wasn't completely accurate, was it? Save for, what, the first six weeks and, what, the last two weeks, maybe? Um, I would say the last time they had a really good offensive series was the Cleveland series. So that was the second weekend in September because remember they got swept at Detroit. Then they had that home stand against the Cubs, Cardinals, and Mets. Cubs were a horrible team and they had to come back to win the two games they won there. We, we, we are very familiar with what happened in the St. Louis series. Even against the Mets, they did enough, but it wasn't overpowering by any stretch of the mind. So I would, I would make the argument that it was the the final full three weeks of the season that they did not play well offensively. Okay. All right. But even so, I mean, so you were taking basically the last three weeks of the regular season, three weeks of September, and then a week in October. Uh, it's, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't expect it. And even, even in games four against Atlanta, and they scored the four runs, I know, but, I just I thought I thought they'd find a way to get it back to Milwaukee, and I thought they'd get enough offense to 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 advance. And it just it didn't happen. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. It just it, it's <laughs> it's just really it's really deflating in a lot of ways because because they were a team, right? That had the timely hits. I mean, they, they had the lineup that you saw you could get enough out of, and they just didn't. They just, they just didn't. And um, I don't know. It just all happened at once again, well, except for Telez, I suppose. Yeah, and I look, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a fire Andy Haynes guy. Like, I think Andy Haynes is a perfectly good hitting coach. I think, but I think the role of the hitting coach is so over accentuated for fans. Like, they, they really. They're there, like it's up to the players. Like they, the hitting coach just doesn't have the impact, offensively or negatively, uh, um, positively or negatively, that that fans think they have. They just don't. Um, generally, when the entire coaching staff is coming back, David Stearns announces that when he does his end of season news conference uh, this year, much like last year, they announced that. Um, they would be. They would still be evaluating that, and part of me just wonders uh, the way the offense went in the postseason. The fact that Christian Yelich never got going this year, and Haynes was Yelich's guy. I think Haynes is a perfectly good hitting coach, but it would not shock me if you know be, you want to make changes on the coaching staff simply because the season didn't end the way you want it to be. I would not be shocked at this point to see them maybe move on from Haynes. I, th- I think they make some sort of change just based off the fact that they don't make the announcement that they're not going to make a change. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I guess I had – right, I did recall how it was worded last year. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if they – I mean, if, if, I mean Yelich is the – is Yelich the, the, the key? Yeah. And I think Hodricourt wrote about it this week. I mean, is it – is it as simple as that? I mean, does his does his ability to break out of whatever realm he's been in in, in now for a couple of years is that as simple as unlocking the overall offense in your opinion? Yeah, I think it is. And you know, this is actually an area where I would probably disagree with David Stearns a little bit in what he said. And I understand what why he said what he said is in the season conference news conference, but essentially he said, you know, we're not a one one guy team. We got we have to have production top to bottom trying to take some of the pressure off of Christian Yelich. Where the way I would voice it as somebody who doesn't work for the team, so I can voice it however I want to voice it. And I said this all season long, the Brewers were not going to win the World Series without Christian Yelich 
playing a really big role doing it. He was going to have to play well offensively for the Brewers to win the World Series, in my opinion. So when we had people calling and texting in the postgame show, Bench Yelich put Tyrone Taylor in. I can admit, you know, Taylor may have given you a little bit more than Yelich was giving you because Yelich was giving you nothing. But if the end goal is to win the World Series, well, you need Christian Yelich. It's kind of like the argument that we had about Corbin Burns pitching in game four, game number five. You had to win two more games to get to the NLCS. Winning game four and losing game five doesn't do anything for you. So what do you, how do you position it so that you have the best chance to win two games? And the way to position it was exactly what they did with Eric Lauer in game four and have Burns ready to go in game five because if you pitch Burns short in game five, pretty good, or in game four, pretty good chance he's not going to perform that great anyways because that's the track record of pitchers who go on short rest. He hasn't been on short rest. So you're trying to set things up to win the series. I would make the Again, kind of circularly going back, I would say the same thing with Yelich. You want to win at your highest level, you need Yelich performing. So where I would disagree with Stearns is I would say he's he's the guy who, as, as Tom Hodricord in the piece that you referenced uh, talked about, he accounts for about 25% of your payroll. Um, I, I don't I don't generally love comparing guys' production to what they're making, but that's more of like a Ryan Braun late in his contract sort of thing. Like I always said, you know, we, we can't pay attention to the money that Braun's making. He is who he is, and you have to use him. Well, Yelich is starting this contract. This new contract goes into effect next year. This last year was the final year of his last contract. I do think money plays a little bit of a role here. There is an expectation that he is at least kind of an uh, minimum an all-star caliber player. He doesn't have to be MVP, but I think minimum he's got to be all-star level of play at the plate for this team to do what it wants to do. Well, I think Brewers fans have got to, they have got to uh, readjust their expectations for him moving forward. I mean, if they're expecting him to be who he was those MVP years or MVP year 18 and, and 19 before the knee injury, I mean, I, like there, there's there's no even there's no sign of that, which means like he could come back next year and be something between that and what he's been this year and last year, and I would be pretty happy with that. And I would hope that a majority of Brewer fans would also be willing to welcome that as the new norm. Now, does that new norm match up with, what, $26, $28 million a year, whatever he's getting paid for the first number of years, that extension? Well, probably not, but look, there was no, honestly, nobody. I heard nobody who complained about the deal to Yelich when they gave it. Instead, it was praised as saying, hey, finally, or not finally, but great, the Brewers and Adonazio and Stearns, they're spending the money for a guy that could have been a two-time back-to-back MVP, and this is this is great. I mean, that was the general consensus. So I think Brewers fans going into next year need to alter their expectation for what they should consider Yelich, uh, what they should, they need to alter their expectations for what they, for what should please them in terms of a Yelich year. Because I don't, I mean, I don't know. Next year's not going to be 18, 19 Yelich. It's just not. I, I don't see how all of a sudden, aha, I figured it out again. Well, which also raises the question, I mean, I wonder, is there more going on? I mean, it's, he's been so, he was so pedestrian. And I know they said he was healthy, but if he wasn't, were they really going to tell us at that point as long as he was healthy enough to play? I mean, and, and, I don't know. What's your take on that? I mean, is, is there a question of health? I just feel like there's got to be more. Because to go from that, 18-19, to this, 20-21, that's a healthy sample size of both, is just mind-boggling, the, 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 the reversal that it's been, that there almost has to be something more going on. I think it's more mental than physical, because actually I, where, sure. where I might disagree with you a little bit is... If he's not 100% healthy, I think they're singing that to the high heavens at the end of the season as a way to kind of 
explain it for him. You know what I mean? Like, you know, not bail sure. him out, but I can't think of another term right now, so I'll go bail him out. Uh, <laughs> kind of do that. So if there was something physical, I think they would have at least alluded to that. Now, I say it's mental, but then you look at his numbers. Like, his hard hit rate is still what it's always been. His ball strike discernment, believe it or not, as, as you watch him take those strikes at the end of game number four, <laughs> believe it or not, statistically, his ball strike discernment is still as good as it's ever been. But it's the launch angle stuff. He's not putting the yeah. ball in the air. Like, I just don't – so I don't – that's what I don't understand. And I guess maybe it could be a back issue thing. In that Hodricourt piece, he talked about how scouts have watched him and don't even recognize the swing from 18-19 and what it is now. The fact that he does continue to hit the ball hard makes you feel like, okay, he's just he's just a, a launch angle fix away from being kind of back to what he was before, but it's a lot easier to say that for than for it to actually come to fruition. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, that that, that is... Yeah, whatever it is. And again, it's a good reminder that these athletes, baseball or otherwise, these athletes are people too. <laughs> athletes are people too. And that they all have things going on. And, and uh, you know, the Keston Hira situation with, with his mom, you know, battling cancer. Uh, how many fans really knew that that was going on? Now I knew that, that was a, it, was, it, was, it was publicized and he, he talked about it. But how many really knew what was going on behind the scenes? And that plays a role on, you know, on uh, you have a good day, you know, you or I have a good day or a bad day at work. Maybe it's because something happening at home or you have an argument with the wife or whatever, you know, in the morning and you go off to the office and now uh, you're in a bad mood because you were arguing with your wife or your significant other in the morning and <laughs> that stuff can happen to those guys too. So, um, I just, well, look, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Right. I mean, <laughs> they, they no one's going to pick up that, that contract anytime soon. So it's almost like, you know, to the Brewers fans, buckle your seatbelt and just kind of got to wait this thing out and hope that whatever's been bothering him is fixed because he'll be here for a while. I mean, and I don't, I'm not saying that he was in bail. They would give up on him. They can't because of the money I know, but I don't think they would anyway. Um, but you never know what's going on behind the scenes, I suppose. Yeah, they just it's the it is the single most important part of this offseason. We can talk all we want to talk about first base or third base or you know finding another all-star caliber bat, those sort of things. Uh getting Yelich right is however you do it that's got to be priority number 1 for this organization. Which by the way, compared to the last few years when we've talked about offseason they got to do this, that, this, that, the other thing. I mean, this year, and maybe it's because the starting pitching is as solidified as it is, this year just feels like it's not quite as dire when you look at, oh, man, who's going to be in the starting lineup on opening day next year? I mean, they're in, correct me if I'm wrong or if you disagree, but they appear, they seem to be in as good a position, not only starting pitching-wise going into next year, but in, in terms of position players, as they've been in a few years. I mean, you're always looking to improve here and there. Obviously, first base is still... Um, they're looking for somebody that they can rely on for more than a year or two since fielders left. But other than that, maybe you know, maybe a corner outfield spot, right, if, if Garcia doesn't return. and They're in pretty good spot. I mean, I feel pretty good that that should give us some some solace, if nothing else. Yeah, I do think finding another, and this is easier said than done, and it's not my money, and it's gonna, the challenging part of this offseason is I think they're third in baseball and arbitration-eligible players, and while that's good because it means you've got club control on all these guys, what's bad is all those guys are going to get raises. So how, how do you fit that many players making more money next year? And they've got to make the decision to tender or non-tender. And there's I always guess wrong on this. Like I look at the arbitration predictions and uh, figure out, okay, well, you know what? That looks like a pretty good number for this guy, but they'll tender him and then they end up not. So a lot of times they, they, you know, they don't tender or they come to an agreement avoiding arbitration and somebody maybe takes a little bit less money to be on the team, whatever it might be. They still have to, to me, even getting Yelich right, it'd be really nice to find a, 
a middle of the order bat that you can just put in there and really feel like they can they can produce on an everyday basis. And I kind of maybe it's first base that that happens. Maybe it's right field. Like as as good as Avisael Garcia was this year, he's not that. Like he's just a he's a half step behind kind of what I'm describing there. So maybe right field is there. They certainly and I'm not even talking so much free agency. Look, they've got so much pitching, and I know uh, there's no such thing as having too much pitching. But when you're talking about a rotation that already can include Burns, Woodruff, Peralta. And you would think mm-hmm. Ashby is going to be contending for a job in spring training. You've got Eric Lauer. Like somebody like Adrian Hauser, he might be worth more to you for another team than he is. And I'm not trying to trade anybody away, but that's the guy who kind of makes sense to me. If they could work out a deal, because there's going to be teams that would covet Hauser, especially because of that sinking fastball. If there's a scenario where you can trade Adrian Hauser and get a legit power bat and put him in right field or put him in first base, I would do that in a split second because of how much pitching the team has. Now, watch three guys get injured at the start of next season and they don't have Hauser anymore and somebody replays this clip and I look like an idiot, but that's that's something that I think could possibly happen. I mean, you have to give up stuff. Yeah, you have to give up something to, to get something of value. I think people should realize that. It's not one of the side effects, I think, or the consequences of the fantasy sports world in which we live, where everybody thinks, you know, go trade for, or they should, uh, you know what they should do? They should sign Anthony Rizzo, because Rizzo's a free agent, right? Free agent? Yeah. Think so? Yeah. Like, hey, they should go sign Anthony Rizzo. Oh, okay, all right. I mean, that's, and how much exactly are you going to spend for him? And if you spend for him there, who does that mean you're not going to be able to pay, and, and, and things like that, or if when it comes to trading, Everybody wants to go trade for the hot big name, but it's okay. But who do you want to give up? Well, I didn't think about that. Um, you know, it's funny that you yeah, mentioned first base, and we were talking to somebody this week about. I mean, if you think about the the opening day lineup, and at, at the quarters, it was Shaw and uh, Hira, right? Right. I assume it was yeah, Shaw and Hira. I mean, you you think, and then there we were, <laughs> there we were at, uh, you know. NLDS game one, and it's or you know a point where you have Telez at first, or Vogelback. Although Vogelback was on the team before, but Telez and uh, and uh, you know and, and and Escobar or Adamas. I mean, so it was a good reminder too that man, especially with Stearns, Stearns we trust. Whatever you're looking like on opening day, it could be so incredibly different. I was gonna. I should go look back at the, the opening day lineup and compare it to you know maybe the lineup for Game Four. Um, that things can change in season two. But um, so what happens with Hater? What is the Hater situation? He's owed. Or is he arbitration eligible yeah, again? Because he's, he's owed a, a truckload, right? Yeah, he's arbitration eligible, and his projection is ten million dollars. Oof. I mean, do you, is he back? I mean, okay, so he gets the ten million. Do they then say that's too rich for our blood? And what, do they trade him then? I mean, there, there's been some whispers of that, right? That this his value might be as high now as it'll be moving forward, just based on overall longevity of a closer. But what, what do you think happens there? Yeah, think I, that that the back end of the pen changes at all. I think the Devin Williams injury actually impacts that a little bit because let's say Williams never punches a wall, and then he comes out and he's fantastic. <laughs> Which, by the way, did you ever did you ever think you'd say that sentence? Before? No, uh, but it's it's the world we live in. Uh, he doesn't punch a wall, and he just continues his domination in the postseason that he had in in the regular season. I think you can sit there and rationalize, okay, Williams is ready to take over as closer. I know it's a minor surgery. I know that there's every reason to expect that he's just going to come back and be the guy that he was before. But in many ways, until he is that, and what about the emotional? Nobody's talking about the emotional side. Scott, think about this. The eighth inning is Devin Williams' inning. The Brewers lost their final game of the season on a home run that was hit in the eighth inning. What's going through Devin Williams' mind when he's watching that game sitting in Phoenix? I, I can't even think about the emotional toll that, that it takes to watch the season end that way. 
True, true. Um, I I understand the point you're making, and I don't know if, if you're equating it with, with, with sympathy. I have very little sympathy for him, for obvious reasons. He put himself in that position. But, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to get over whatever mental hurt. We talked about, you know, just a psychological thing with uh, or a mental side with Yelich and his struggles. And wow, I don't know Devin Williams at all. I don't know how strong he is mentally or, or, or psychologically to be able to overcome this self-inflicted challenge in his life and in his career, but whatever was going through his mind as that ball is leaving Freddie Freeman's bat, whatever was going through his mind, I just hope that he's able to use it for fuel and just for personal growth um, for himself, and then if he can do it for the team, even better. But, uh, yeah. it. Um, I, I, did you get a lot of pushback? Did you after the loss, did a lot of people say, oh, man, did they bring up the Williams thing? Like, oh, that would have been Williams inning. And, and did they, I mean, did they blame Hater per se? Or, or or was there a lot of regret bringing up Williams after the game? There were people who didn't like Hater in that inning because they thought that Woodruff should have kept going um, and that Hater oh. should have been there for the ninth. My argument is exactly what Craig Council said, and, and I said it before I ever heard Council say it. You don't want to lose that game leaving Josh Hader in the bullpen. Yeah, that's The middle of the order is coming up. Whether Hader was going to be used for multi-innings or not, I get the sense he probably wasn't. You know, Really what he was doing, because Council has run things the same way. If it's a, if it's a tie game in the ninth inning, then... Hader comes in, and they start going backwards from there. If Williams hasn't been used, Williams would pitch the 10th. If, if Williams was used, then Boxberger. You know, you just reverse the bullpen. And basically, Council did that one inning early by going to Hader. Now, I guess we could make the same argument. If Williams is there and hasn't been used yet, uh, do you still say, well, you can't lose that game keeping Hader in the bullpen? Is it still Hader in the eighth, and then you go to Wood? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it's different if Williams is there. I, I don't, you know, it just because it's two dominating guys. So there sure. wasn't. I, I don't think there was the um, there wasn't the pushback like blaming Hader. There was the pushback on Hader shouldn't have been pitching in that moment, and there was a little bit of talk about Williams and the the impact that his injury ended up having on the team in the postseason. Yeah, yeah. I actually got you'll, you'll I don't know if you heard this. You'll appreciate this. I got a call uh, the next morning, so Wednesday morning. We spent the first I don't know twenty twenty five was in the morning show. We spent the first twenty five minutes. I said, I'll give you 10 seconds, just vent. Say whatever you want. I'm on the radio. Don't swear. And just vent. I, I will step back and I will just let you say whatever, you know, cockamamie theory or whatever, just to get it off your chest. And we did, and we, people called up. I actually, you'll get this. I got a, I blame Luke Maley for the Freddie Freeman home run. <laughs> and after the, the guy said his piece, I said, wait a minute, so you... You blame the catcher for the pitch, not Hader. He goes, no, he calls the pitches. He calls the pitches, and that pitch was in the wrong location and this, that, and the other thing. I go, wow. People will try to – the frustration level's high when you're blaming the catcher for a misplaced pitch and, uh, and just a good bit of hitting, too, I think, from Freeman looking for what he was going to look for stepping into that at bat, but I thought that was a gem. Luke Maley. Blame, he's a bum. Blame Luke Maley, Maddie. <laughs> uh, yeah, the you always do that he's a bum thing when we're talking about Craig Council as a joke because there's so many people who, you know, are all over Council for, for various reasons. Uh, I'll say this, like, I don't, I don't think he made any bad decisions per se. He made some decisions that I understood why he made them, but I would have gone differently. I would not have taken Eric Lauer. I would have given Lauer one more hitter. I would not have taken Freddie Peralta out. Uh, that Vogelback pinch hit when Peralta came out, I probably wouldn't have used Vogelback in that spot. So there's some things that I wouldn't have done, but at the same time, I, like they weren't bad decisions. They were just decisions I would have done a little bit differently, but because this was one of those perfect storms where almost every crossroads decision that council made 
it kind of went badly, so there was a ton of even more criticism on him than normal. Well, and all that stems when you don't hit, when your offense is not producing, when you're not hitting the baseball, it is amazing how in that sport everything else is magnified. It's, well, then every move that council makes regarding the pitching or pinch hitting, every move blows up on him and then he's, he's to blame somehow. Or, oh, man, they look isn't it amazing. They look slow and sluggish. You never hear about that when the team is hitting. And yet that's something that people harp on. Oh, this team is, oh, man, they need a players-only meeting. Look how slow and sluggish they look. Oh, man, they can't do this. Have so much in baseball when it comes to, to, to negatives comes from the offense going through a stretch where they're not producing. And like we talked about before, take that, amplify it a hundredfold because it happened to come in the first round of a playoff series where you were favored and, and in a postseason where you were favored to go relatively deep. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's deafening noise. But it's always amazing when, you, when, when a baseball team isn't hitting, everything else is amplified. It's, it's every, like you said, it's every pull a pitcher out or send the pitcher up to hit or leave him in for one more guy. Because they, because they had no offense. It all comes back to that. So that's interesting, though. The, the one I, I, I didn't have a problem with the Peralta, taking a Peralta out. I mean, it was a gamble. But again, because he knew we aren't hitting. And this may be what they had second and third. Nobody out, right? I think. Was that it? Because it was Kane that had the sharp ground out. So it was second, third, one out. And then Peralta was to bat. Do I have that right? I don't think I it was. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Kane who because it was Vogelback who came up and he had the ball that he hit on the ground and they got the out at home. And then it was Kane after that, right? So Peralta came up with nobody out. No, no. We're it's all it's well it's at any rate blurry. And, for and me. They, but but, but, there, but there were runners on when he pulled out Peralta, right? Because he pulled out Peralta and pinched Vogelback, right? Right. Okay, okay. So I mean, he was just trying to get so, runs. Yeah. At so that, that was the like, that was the fifth inning. Urias hit by pitch. Then Omar Nevarez double. So runners at second and third. Then Lorenzo Kane does ground out. So you had that right. So then Kane grounds okay. out. Uh, at right. that point, Vogelback comes up as the pinch hitter with one out, and that's when that play at home took right. place. And then Colton Wong lines out. For some reason, I was thinking Vogelback pinch hit with no outs. It was a one out pinch hit for Vogelback. I mean, we're, we're getting really deep into the weeds, but that's okay. We can we can uh, dissect this. I, I'll, I'll always be curious to know what what would he have done if Kane, if that hit by Kane goes through? Yeah. Or I don't. I think field, I think Peralta hits. Yeah, I think Peralta hits for himself at that point. Um, all right, so let's we'll we'll wrap things up here in just a second. So if the Kane because the, yeah the Kane ground out which could have gone as a hit. So if Kane. Gets that as a hit. He's probably on it first. You probably hit. Mm-hmm. So Narvaez scores, or uh, Urias scores. Narvaez probably goes to third. I don't think Narvaez probably scores on that. So you have first and third, nobody out. Peralta can put down a bunt, just move the runner up to second, and then you've got second and third, one out. Sure, yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, uh, the woulda, coulda, shoulda, if yep. only. Gosh, and here we sat. A week ago right now as we're taping this, uh, only we knew. It's only we knew, but uh, it just leaves such a bitter taste in your mouth. I don't know. We've been more negative than positive here. I don't know. We'll have to next week's podcast guest. Make sure you guys look at the glass half full and the reason to be optimistic moving forward. I well, feel like I've been too much of a Debbie Downer here. You know, it's so this is the first podcast. Like we do the we we did a Brew October nightly the next day, and then we did uh, Brewers weekly on, on this past Thursday. So it kind of was the same way. So when we did that Brew October nightly the day of that show had a very negative tone, and after I got done with that show, I was I was done. I was ready to just move on, and we. We looked at arbitration projections. We did a wacky thing where we ended up calling my dad live on the air during uh, during Brewers Weekly on Thursday night. Like I was just ready to move on. So this is the addition to the podcast where we're negative, we're looking back, we're disappointed, <laughs> but uh, we will we will we will pivot to positive next week. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, look, you've known me long enough that when you need the pessimistic glass half empty. 
negative podcast theme, I am your guy. Hey, I am your guy. Before we let you go, uh, <laughs> yeah. not only are you the host of WTMJ Night 6 to 9, uh, you are the voice of Milwaukee Panthers men's basketball. And man, are people excited about this year. And oh, yeah, by the way, the broadcast have a new home. And now for the first time in your tenure as the Milwaukee Panthers radio play-by-play broadcaster, you are not broadcasting these games on a competing radio station, which is good. <laughs> True. It's all in the family now. So I can be much more free in talking about it. Yes, uh, the uh, men's Panthers men's basketball games will now air uh, on 5.40 a.m., 5.40 ESPN. Uh, there's also the FM uh, simulcast 101.1, he said, hesitantly. But primarily 540 ESPN on the AM dial and streaming, obviously, as well uh, on the website. But it, it's it's an exciting time. I mean, I, I would say I've, I've lived here my whole life, and so I was here for the whole Bruce Pearl era, which is hard to believe was 15, 16 years ago now when they went to the Sweet 16. Gosh. And even back then, there was not this much off-season hype and attention uh, going into a season. Um, and that is primarily because Patrick Baldwin Jr., uh, who was a uh, top five uh, high school recruit, is playing for Milwaukee. He's staying home. His dad is the head coach, for people who don't know. And he chose, in the end, Milwaukee over Duke and over Georgetown. I mean, he could have gone anywhere, quite frankly, but those were the final three schools. So you're right. It's, uh, it's just it's exciting for the city. It's exciting for that program, for that school. They need this. They need some juice. And they're going to get it right out of the gate. Yeah, they've made some nice runs in March, some conference tournament runs to a championship, a couple championship games as a low seed, which certainly draws eyeballs. But that only lasts a handful of days, you know, maybe a week or so in March. Everybody all of a sudden is glued to Panthers basketball. So this is this is going to be fun because it's 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 a long range buildup since he announced back in oh was that May or early June or so, and so there's a ramp up now that. Panthers men's basketball hasn't maybe ever had. And if it did, it was during the Pearl era. And uh, our first broadcast will be an exhibition game on October 30th. And then the first regular season game is November the 9th. Um, So it's exciting and uh, a lot of good people there. So I'm, I'm happy for a lot of people there to enjoy the ride, whatever comes of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Scott, thanks for taking the time. We'll do this again here in a, in a couple months or so, and it'll be a very different type of conversation. When you get bored and have run out of things to talk about, like, I don't know, around the holidays or during the doldrums of early January before pitchers catchers report, I'm always here for you, Matt. Perfect. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. You're welcome. That is Scott Warris joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that is just about going to wrap things up for uh, this edition of the podcast. We will still have uh, Brewers Weekly on Thursday nights, uh, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on WTMJ. We'll continue uh, with this podcast throughout the course of uh, of the year. We're, a, uh, we're not a 52 a week year podcast we take a couple weeks off generally right around the holidays but then we pick up and get rolling once again and uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks continuing to kind of put a bow on the season and starting to look forward and do things like that it just uh, it feels like the brewers should still be playing so it's hard to really make that pivot where we start looking ahead to next season um, and yeah, maybe, maybe it'll feel a little bit different. I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you've been with us from the beginning and don't press the, uh, the plus, the plus 30 button over and over and over until we get to the interview, I said earlier, it just, even though the Brewers season ended less than a week ago, it feels like it's been two weeks to me. It just feels like, I guess time has just kind of dragged since the season uh, came to an end. Uh, maybe next week it's going to feel like six weeks since the <laughs> Brewers season came to an end. We'll just have to uh, wait and see. So uh, thanks to Scott Wars. By the way, thanks to uh, to all of you. I'm guessing maybe some people 
who are um, listening to this podcast might uh, drop off here for a little while as there's not quite as much Brewers fervor here over the next uh, few months. I hope you stick around. We'll ha- try to have some uh, fun conversations and uh, just talk about all kinds of things when it comes to the Brewers here on the podcast. But uh, while I have hopefully as big of an audience as uh, possible, just want to say thank you to everybody who has listened as uh, um just as much as you have, we've got uh, we've got a group of uh, people, and we've seen the numbers really move upward on this podcast feed. Between this podcast, between the Brew October Nightly, between Brewers Weekly, and of course uh, the Brewers Extra's post game show, we've just seen those uh, numbers really grow. So, for so many people to take the time to listen to me talk about the team. It really does mean a lot. So thank you so much for being tuned in. Hopefully you stick with us uh, here moving forward as we'll continue to come your way every week. But obviously with no uh, post-game shows and things like that, the podcast feed will be a little more empty than it has been over the course of the last six months or so. All right. Thanks to Scott Warris for joining. Thanks to you for listening. Talk to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.